0: And we're
1: live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings everyone, welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. Since 2012, I've been coaching people to join me in achieving their plant-based lifestyle goals of weight loss and improved health. Just test voice, let's welcome our guest. Dr. Monica Agarwal, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, cardiologist Monica Agarwal, MD, healed herself with the help of a plant-based diet. Dr. Agarwal wrote the book, Body on Fire. A national speaker, Dr. Agarwal teaches preventative cardiology in her daytime practice, where she emphasizes plant-based nutrition and often performs multiple mind-body techniques with her patients, including yoga and meditation. Green with Amy welcomes Dr. Monica Agarwal. Greetings, Dr. Agarwal. Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Thanks so much.
1: I'm so glad you're here. Today, we are having a very important topic, which we're going to be talking about inflammation, which has such a broad outlook as far as our health and so forth. I wanted to remind people that you are a cardiologist, but you also encountered some inflammation in your own personal life. So if you have questions, you can ask questions about the heart and heart health, but you can also ask about inflammation. So it's going to be some interesting things that we'll be talking about. But let me ask Dr. Agrawal to explain why we would be talking about inflammation and why we were talking about in our title, we included rheumatoid arthritis. So can you tell our guests how you encountered this in your life?
0: Sure. Um, so uh, I'm a cardiologist. I have been in practice for over 10 years. Um, I um, Anybody who goes into subspecialty cardiology or subspecialty medicine often waits to have children until all your training is done. It, it's not that you're not allowed to have children, but it's not sort of encouraged. Uh, and arguably 10 years ago, it was frowned upon. So most of us go through all of our training. And then since there's so much training, we uh, all of a sudden there's this very clear awareness of your body clock. And so you start thinking, oh my gosh, if I want to have a couple of kids, I really have to do this kind of quickly. So uh, I had three kids within a four-year period. Um, So people joke with me and I say, oh, I remember when you were pregnant. I'm like, well, I was pregnant or nursing. So I was either big in the tummy, big in the breast for about six years. So um, it was just one of those things. And um sort of at that time I became so um overdone, uh, overstressed, overtired. I was working full time as a cardiologist, raising three kids, taking call, also while nursing a kid. Um, I was sleeping four or five hours a night. I was trying to make baby food, I was trying to do everything, sort of continue to run to keep myself healthy, quote unquote. Um, but I would continue to get worse and worse. Uh, what I did was is um, I started about four months after I had my third kid, I started manifesting um, joint pain. Uh, it was migratory. It started out with my finger and went to my shoulders then went to my knees. Uh, I was a runner and I quickly went from being um, an active three to seven mile runner to not being able to climb up the stairs. Um my husband always tells me about a time that he remembers that we try not to remember so well, which is a day where he uh, had found me um, at the bottom of the crib with the baby crying because I couldn't get into the come up. I couldn't get the baby out of the crib because my joints were hurting so bad um, while the baby was crying. So I couldn't nurse her. I couldn't even lift her out of the crib. He found me there at the bottom of the crib after I had uh, crawled up the stairs. So, um, sort of a dark time where I developed, uh, I went to a doctor finally, and this is the short version of the story, but I ignored my, ignored my symptoms, treated myself for a while, um, and then eventually went to see a doctor and was diagnosed with um, a debilitating form of rheumatoid arthritis. I was told that I um, had an overall poor prognosis, that uh, my numbers were so elevated that I was likely going to have um, destruction, um, if I didn't, a destruction of my joints, if I didn't get on medications very quickly. And that could uh, impair my um, my future. Uh, if you can imagine what that must have felt like, having a four-month-old, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, um, probably the, one of the darkest times for me. So diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and then was put on uh, highly toxic medications. And they're not that I should say that they're, That's not probably the right word. I was put on medications that have some side effects. And unfortunately, they just had a lot of side effects on me. So I um, developed a lot of nausea and metallic taste and hair loss and um, uh, felt lousy all the time, but my joints got better. And it was on that point that I started learning about other ways to heal my body. And it's not that I don't believe in the medications I do. I just believe that there are so many other things you can do for your body to heal your body uh, and I had to. I went on that course when I got when I developed my old own illness. Ultimately, you learn over time as you and I've studied this now for years that there's so many of our illnesses that we get or they're all tied together by this fundamental concept of inflammation. And the reason we titled our book actually "Body on Fire" is because of that fundamental concept, which is our body on fire is actually body with inflammation and inflammation is our bodies irritated with us. And, and when you start understanding that everybody has a different genetic risk, but it's that inflammation that then triggers that that gene from it to express itself and then manifest illness, then you can kind of understand how important it is to treat inflammation. The problem is, is that we all do so many things to our bodies to hurt it all the time. And as 2020 has approached, 2021 has approached, I feel like we're just continuing to do more and more, aren't we? We, We're constantly thinking we don't need a lot of sleep. We're on our phones all of the time. We're not exercising. We're eating poorly. Everything we want is instant. Um, We're eating the wrong foods. We're eating loads of refined foods. Um, We've even forgotten what food tastes like. And so because of this, so many Um, people are getting so much inflammation and we're seeing so much manifestation of autoimmune disease, cardiac or heart disease, which is the area that I have trained in, um, and auto, you know, and just, uh, actually most illnesses. I don't know if you realize, but 50% of the, um, of the United States now has high blood pressure. Um, and about 70% of the country is overweight or obese, and about a third of the population at least is diabetic, um, and 10% of the population has high cholesterol. And autoimmune diseases like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis are becoming more and more prevalent and inflammatory bowel disease and asthma. And so all of these things are becoming more and more of an issue um, because everybody has so much more inflammation in their body. Um, and so what I have made my life quest is to work on treating that, is treating that inflammation to treat myself and also to treat other people.
1: Wow, that was a very amazing story. I mean, here you had gone through all of your training and, and you had basically mapped out your life. You knew what you wanted and you were going 100% for all of your goals. You planned out your family. You had everything all planned out. But like a lot of people, and I and I think a lot of women, we feel that we can just do all the things and we want to do them all so well. And the one thing that we don't do well is take care of ourselves because something's got to give. And the fact that you had this happen to you, And then another thing that was interesting was that here you are, you're a medical doctor, and you were having these symptoms, and you weren't really thinking that they were anything that was going to be as serious as what it turned out to be. So what did you do when you had these symptoms? Like, what symptoms did you have? And then what did you think to yourself to rationalize in the way?
0: Well, I... um I started I started out um so when I delivered baby number 3 I was I felt great I felt fine I uh, besides the fact that having a third baby is really tough on your body um and um but the sort of standard recovery um but then um <sighs> you know, within a two week period, I started, you know, I started out with finger pain. I I remember sometimes I find myself rubbing that joint. That was my starting joint. Um, And I remember it was so hot and it couldn't, and I couldn't move. And I thought, oh, I must've just hit it somewhere. Um, But then it went away. And then I felt it on the other, another joint in another hand. And that's actually not a classic presentation for rheumatoid, but then I felt it in another joint Uh, on the other side. Uh, And then I remember it was my shoulders. They were so hot, which is why I couldn't lift the baby up. Um, And I remember that I felt this glass feeling in my feet all the time. So I changed my shoes three times because I was sure that the shoes were the problem and not me. Um, And so I remember that I was going to write a letter to baby clothes companies because I thought that you shouldn't put snaps on clothes because i couldn't do that fundamental thing i couldn't make that snapping uh, i couldn't do that and so i remember thinking i was going to write letters to them to say you should put like a cord so you can tie it not that you should have a snap because of course i wasn't the problem it was everything else so i went through a lot of that for weeks internally sort of working through and as a physician, I sort of analyzed my symptoms, migratory joint pain. I, w- I lived in the woods. I was sure I had Lyme disease. So um, so when I, um, I started myself on antibiotics and because the treatment for Lyme disease is typically doxycycline, and I started myself on antibiotics and I just wasn't getting better. Um, and so it really did take me to the humbling point of having to crawl up my stairs uh, for me to realize I had a real problem. So I think, um, I think women are tricky. You know, we think that we uh, have to do everything. We think we have to uh, have a baby, look fabulous, never have a tummy, never, you know, have three kids, but, oh, by the way, I look so fabulous and not have wrinkles and have not have gray hair and always feel great. And we always feel that we have to do so many things and, oh, we have to be, we can work as doctors or work as anything, but also we have to be the one to bake the cookies and bake the cupcakes. And, you know, we have so much responsibility. We put so much pressure on ourselves, whether that's, you know, all, that's all internal or external that could be debated. And so I think I certainly felt a lot of that. And I felt a lot of, you know, the mommy guilt, which is, you know, as a working mom, I felt That I must do better because I wasn't home. I wasn't home all the time to kind of make all and be there and do all the things that other mothers were doing. So I needed to be better. So you know, I I remember days where I would puree baby food, nurse the baby, then pump, then puree sweet potatoes for the for the middle child, and then I would um, make make cupcakes at midnight. I'd be baking cupcakes and decorating them. And then I'd leave them because I had to be gone. My clinic started at 7 a.m. So I had to round in the hospital at 6. So I'd be gone before I even got to see the kid or my kids even see the cupcakes I'd made for them. But this is the cross that we bear. And we sometimes lose sight of the fact that we are becoming destroyed in the meantime.
1: I'm glad that you said that because I think there's a lot of people listening or watching now that may see that in themselves and unfortunately for you you had to have that wake up call in in the real sense where other people maybe if they can hear this story maybe they will benefit from that and maybe take it down a notch. I started this lifestyle back in 2012. But before I even started, I thought that I was having eating a healthy diet. And I thought that I was having a healthy lifestyle because I exercised. Although I over the years, the pounds kept creeping on, but I was taking the skin off of the chicken and putting my dressing on the side. So I really thought that I was eating healthy until I discovered this lifestyle. Now, we know how your lifestyle was as far as that you were working hard and juggling a lot of things and not getting probably as much rest as you needed. So as far as the food, how was that before you mm-hmm. changed over?
0: Sure. So I was already vegeta- I'm I was already vegetarian. I became vegetarian at around age 16. Um, that was for ethical reasons. And then I um um But I used to eat a standard sort of unhealthy vegetarian diet. So I used to eat processed foods, um, refined carbohydrates, and I had loads of of cheese. Uh, Cheese was like, um, which some of my patients always described to me. And I'm like, oh, sister, I was there. I remember like I could eat three cheese sticks a day, uh, have a glass of milk, uh, pizza, Um, but I, I thought I was doing great stuff because I was eating calcium and, um, it wouldn't affect my cholesterol all that much. You know, it's amazing as a cardiologist, this is the crazy stuff I used to believe because, um, nutrition's just not taught to doctors. And so we, doctors are sort of, unfortunately, not the best people to get nutrition advice from, unless they're somebody who's specifically trained in it like myself, but only because I've done it actively on my own. Otherwise, prior to that, I... I
1: I didn't really know what I was doing. So, how did you discover this lifestyle? Um,
0: You know, I was always a natural, interested in natural. I had already natural therapies. I had, even though I'm trained as a as a academic cardiologist or the cardiologist, I also believe maybe because I'm Indian and believe in sort of Ayurvedic um, processes. I, I did an integrative medicine. Um, year at University of Arizona with Andy Weil, who's now become a good friend. Um, And um, I was always interested in prevention. So, you know, trying to understand how lifestyle, but I never really fully understood that I was doing things that were unhealthy. Like, I, I thought that it was a sign of, it was a badge of honor to sleep four or five hours a night Oh, and I thought my diet was healthy and I thought that stress was just part of being a tough warrior that I was. You know, you, you don't understand that you hurt yourself when you do those things. So I remember I was doing an event and I um, had a nutrition um, a nutritionist or health coach come to see me and wanted to come to one of my prevention events, at preventative preventive cardiology events. And uh, I, she wanted to do nutrition and I thought, oh, you know, I got this. I, I, I don't need a nutrition person here. I don't really have space. Um, and she said, okay, well, let me just uh, do your nutrition profile. And, you know, it was, it was blew me away because she started talking about dairy and inflammation and IGF-1. And um, it's, it's that point that I started really thinking about what these things meant. And I went to Harvard and spent some time learning from some great, amazing people about the gut biome. Um, I learned about longevity and sirtuin and I learned about epigenetics, um, things that I didn't fully understand. And um, you, there's so much out there that we as physicians don't fundamentally understand. And there's so much you can do to heal your body. I think that that's a fundamental concept. Like people think that their genes define them. Well, yeah, you know, I can't change my genes. I was inevitably always, I always had the genetic code for rheumatoid arthritis, but that doesn't mean that it was always going to express itself. And so what you have and what you express are two different things. In fact, there, there are studies that have been done on heart disease patients, for instance, and people always say, Well, my parents had heart disease at a young age, so I'm gonna get heart disease. Well, you know, in heart disease, you you think that your genes define you, and if my parents had heart disease, then I then I'm gonna get heart disease. Well, that's true and not true. And so there's studies that have shown that that if you have a low genetic risk for heart disease but you have an unhealthy lifestyle, you're going to increase your risk of having a of having heart disease by 50% more than somebody who has low genetic risk and a good healthy lifestyle. So that's really something to think about. And then people who have high genetic risk, so that's the ones that are at high risk because maybe mom and dad had heart disease at a young age or you have really high cholesterol. And if you have an unhealthy lifestyle, then your risk is 50% higher. So double, rather, double, sorry, double the... Um, the rate of somebody who has high genetic risk in a really good lifestyle. So if you can imagine that, then you're basically
1: doubling your risk um, when you... Good lifestyle. I think that some people will say, oh, whole food, plant-based diet. You, you go on that and you don't have to worry about anything else. You'll reverse everything or you'll prevent everything. And it really is a whole package and that's what I'm, I'm glad that you're here to unpack that for us. There are people that have adopted this plant-based lifestyle as far as the diet portion goes, and they're still having issues with inflammation or heart disease. And I think that what you had to say about that, and maybe you can expand upon that, as far as the food goes for those people that are tuning in and maybe aren't familiar with this lifestyle and they maybe have heard about Paleo and the meat based types of diets, but they're not familiar with this type of eating. What do you typically recommend to your patients to eat? or to avoid.
0: Yeah, I mean so I, first of all, I, I don't think there's one size fits all. And so I think that's a first fundamental concept and so so many people are out there advocating one thing and I don't know if that that's I don't see that that's the case and like you said that some people are still having have inflammation when they go plant based. Well, uh-huh. I mean everybody comes with a different set of baggage and a different set of genes. And so I have people who have really high cholesterol that have to be on medication period. And so, and there are other people that don't, you know, and it just, you know, we, but, but the thing is not that medication is the enemy and eating naturally is, is the only good. Some people need a combination and you're not a failure if you didn't get your lifestyle to do everything for you. Cause I think sometimes that's a concept that people don't get. And I also think, That it's important to realize, yeah, that you have to fix so many different facets of your life, which makes it hard, I realize. I mean, it's hard for me, too. I mean, I just went through a major move in my life and my stress levels were through the roof and I could feel it in my joints, you know, and so you're not always perfect but you do the best you can. And so honor the process, honor the fact that you need to do many things to heal your body. You have to learn to sleep. You need to slow down. You need to sort of honor the process of getting better. You have to learn to heal your gut. You have to eat the right foods. So you asked me, what do I I recommend my kids, my, my kids, my patients to eat? Well, it depends on again, where they come from. I have a deer hunter in my clinic Who is now 100% plant-based? He's a deer hunter. I have a Cuban, a man who uh, told me when he first met me, he goes, "Doc, I, I really just only eat meat and potatoes. That's it." And I had to say, "Well, you know, look, sir, I hear you, but what you're doing isn't working." And because of that, you have three stents in your heart and you're worried about a fourth and you're having chest pain. So what do you want to do about it? You decide. Do you want to be on those medications, continue to have the symptoms you're having, maybe get another stent? You want to try another option because there could be other things that you can do. And that man has not gone back to the heart lab to get a stent and has no chest pain um, in years. So like there's so many stories like that of people that I work with on a daily basis that are getting better. I mean, people call me and tell me, like, since I've been working with you, I have had no this or this or I'm totally better or you've taken me off this many things. I can't thank you enough. Well, that's lovely. And so I I tell you those stories because the people who are listening, I want them to feel motivated and to feel like, you know what, I can do this. Because you can, you absolutely can change your lifestyle. So now let's get to it. Like what are the changes that you have to make? Well, I usually don't, depending on the person in a a podcast environment or in an interview type of pot, I don't usually give very strict recommendations because I think that becomes super tricky for somebody who is very keto strong or very meat heavy to then hear very strict recommendations. And then they listen and they're like, "Mm, yeah, not doing that and then they move away. But consider that the fundamental concept of eating healthier is that you need to eat more plants. Uh, And that's the fundamental, that's the foundation of every healthy diet. And so if you believe in a ketogenic diet, you're not correct. Um, And so that's hard to hear. But there are ways to eat sort of more plants and still get sort of eating where um, you can still get those low carb and, and higher fat. That not necessarily I agree with, but maybe there's some happy medium for you. But the fundamental foundation is that you have to eat more plants. And so we would advocate that most patients, that patients should eat five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables every day. So a serving is not three strawberries or a you know a couple of blueberries. It's a baseball sized fruit, a, a cup of uncooked vegetables or a half a cup of cooked vegetables. and we want you to do that every single day. And that's not loaded in butter, covered in oil. That's sort of unadulterated uh, veggie fruits and veggies. And so it, it's okay if they're steamed or um, or cooked uh, a little bit, but we really don't want you sort of having loading those, like my, some, one of my patients came in the other day and said, well, I had collard greens in bake, bacon grease. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you sabotaged my food. Um, and so, you know, I think um, that's sort of the understand, that's what I want people to understand. The goal is to just eat more plants. And I don't know if any of you got, the audience has heard my video um, that I did on when we instituted a plant-based menu at the University of Florida, but the video and I'm happy to share that link basically just says that, look, the goal is to eat more plants. That's the fundamental thing. And then along that line is if we can get people to eat more plants, we want you to cut out, at least start out with cutting out your red meat. So cut out your red meat and eat more plants and watch what happens to you. And that's usually the first step. But to also remember that there's no good in eating instant foods, pack pre-packaged foods. And so when some dietitians say eat the outside of the grocery store, they're correct because the outside of the grocery store has all of the sort of most fresh food. Um that's where you find the produce and the fresh breads. Uh, and it's the middle of the, of the grocery store that you find everything that's been sitting on the, on the, on the grocery store floor for weeks. I mean, have you ever wondered why bread from Arnold's or, um, uh, Arnold's is one of the big pepperage farm. It sits on the grocery store shelf and it never rots. Like, why does that bread never rot? Well, the reason it never rots is because it's built, it's made in a, a factory in California or, you know, wherever it's made. And then it's got to be shipped over to me in Florida. And then it sits on the grocery store shelf there. And then before somebody picks it up and then it needs to go on that person's shelf or fridge after that, yet it never rots. Well, the way because it never rots is because they've added so many preservatives to it. They usually and they you still want it soft for you know four thousand years later, and so you, they put oil and sugar in it. So like all the bad foods that you don't want it. So there's oil and sugar in your bread. They use refined wheats um, so that they're easier to use. They're softer, and then they add preservatives to make it last forever. So, you know, we want you to kind of think about avoiding those kind of foods. And so, eating foods more like for breakfast, for instance, I'll tell you what I eat. Maybe that will be easier. For breakfast, one of my favorite things to eat is raw oats. So, often I'll take oats and I'll just take, you know, a whole rolled oat and I'll put it and make it into a cereal. I'll add oat milk to it and I add blueberries. That's my breakfast. Um, or I might have, um, with that, I might, if I'm feeling it, I might have some greens or I might have a shake. Sometimes I'll put a Vitamix, so I'll throw in uh, three quarters of a box of kale or about you know five ounces of kale, at least, if not more. And I put in some mango and some water and some chia seeds and I'll often have that oatmeal with that shake. Uh, and that's breakfast. Um, and what I've done with that breakfast, I've added loads of whole grains that are loaded in fiber. You know, I've added probiotics to my, or early prebiotics to my gut. I've added all sorts of greens. I've added chia seeds, which are omega-3 fatty acids. Um, and I've gotten like five servings of fruits and vegetables and I haven't even, and I haven't cleared breakfast yet.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that word prebiotic because a lot of people are so concerned about, oh, should I take probiotics? But you said prebiotic. Maybe you can tell our audience what you mean by that.
0: So prebiotic is basically
1: the food that you
0: give to your bugs of your gut. So, you know, what some people don't understand is that or realize is that your body is made of all these bugs and you have all these gut bugs and those gut bugs need to be fed um, and they need to eat and be nourished for you to be healthy. Um, and that's why, you, you know, when you have good bowel movements, that's a sign of a healthy gut. And so uh, prebiotics are just basically the food that you give to your bugs to keep them healthy. And so, you know, you can, if you, a probiotic is really the bugs, like giving people other bugs, whereas prebiotic is giving them the food to, to live and be healthy.
1: Yeah. I kind of liken the gut microbiome in our body to a farm because you could have sprinkle seeds. And if you're in Florida, you might have sand you could sprinkle seeds on there and you may not get anything to very to grow very well if the soil isn't healthy. I like how when you talk about the prebiotic, it's almost like you're fertilizing the soil so that it can grow all those things that are healthy for I like you. That.
0: I like that analogy. I think that that's great. So, yeah, I mean, I think people focus a lot on probiotics. You know, what probiotic? I get that call all the time. What probiotic should I take? Well, I don't take probiotics. I don't take them because I think that you can get your you could get good healthy bugs by feeding and nourishing the bugs that you have, and then the healthy bugs just come. And then if you need natural probiotics because you're in a time where you've eaten poorly or you're in a tough situation where you're traveling and you want probiotics too, I get them again naturally through things like sauerkraut and kimchi.
1: I'm trying to combine the heart disease questions with maybe the inflammation, because a lot of it is the same. What do you recommend as far as nuts and seeds?
0: So in general, they're good for us. We should be eating nuts and seeds. Um, That's the average person who doesn't have heart disease is going to be fine with nuts and seeds. Now it is possible. Um, the, you know, there is some saturated fat and some nuts and seeds. And so some people who are really high cholesterol, I sometimes or have really advanced heart disease, I do restrict their nuts and seeds for a time. um, Because I need to really just sort of throw the kitchen sink at them um, to really bring down their cholesterol and decrease their inflammation. So I might do that. Um, or rather that's not the right word because you know there's a lot of data that says that nuts and seeds are anti-inflammatory as well. So it's more that you're cutting out the saturated fats. And so I want to decrease, because of that, I want to decrease their risk of having production of plaque, especially in having their lipids be LDL be high. And so sometimes in those situations, I will cut out their nuts and seeds. Nuts and seeds in general are very good for you because they um, fill up your tummy and um, in a really healthy way. And most of the time you're getting lots of omega-3 fatty acids, you're getting polyunsaturated fat. Um... And a lot of the studies have shown that especially things like almonds and walnuts, which are really high in omega-3, are really good nuts to eat.
1: When we talk about inflammation, let's just say somebody was doing pretty well on a plant-based lifestyle. Let's say that they maybe had 10, 15 more pounds to go. What do you say about body fat and inflammation? So body
0: fat or having increased body fat is inflammatory. Um, so if you have an excess amount of body fat that can be inflammatory, it makes you at risk, especially if you have the central obesity, um, that can put you at risk for pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome. So we want to avoid excess weight for sure. Um, so, um, there are a lot of people who eat plant-based and say, describe that they can't lose weight. Uh, Most of the time, that's because they're getting some refined foods in their diet they don't realize. They're probably not. They're eating more food than their body needs and they aren't breaking it down. Um, and those are usually, and they're usually eating a whole lot of complex carbs and carbohydrates, and they're not eating like a lot enough, enough of the greens. Um, and that's usually what I see, or they're eating, you know, they'll say, well, you ate, said to eat five to seven fruits and vegetables. And it's like seven fruit and, you know, a quarter of a vegetable, that kind of thing. And so usually I tell people the goal is to eat more like five vegetables per day and two servings of fruit.
1: That's good advice. We talked about the omega threes. What do you think that people should do as far as the balance? Between the omega threes and the omega sixes, and where where would that sourcing be?
0: Yeah, so you know, again, a lot of people get um, this becomes another sort of area of confusion for a lot of people because the problem. is So omega th- omega six fatty acids are important because they are inflammatory, and so we don't want to undermine the need for inflammation. We have to remember that inflammation has a role in its acute inflammation that we need we need. If you get hurt quickly or you are being chased by a tiger or if you get a cut on your arm and it's bleeding, you need inflammation to take care. So all the cells come that need to combat uh, the bleeding and decrease the infection. You need inflammation in those situations. So we don't want to say that all inflammation is bad. So that's one thing. So there is a role for things like omega-6 fatty acids. The problem is, is that most of the American diet is loaded in omega-6 and not enough omega-3. So omega-3 is the anti-inflammatory, anti-bleeding, um kind of acid and um and anti-inflammatory and so we want uh people to get we just want to improve the ratio so most people are just eating loads and loads of omega-6 and not eating enough omega-3 so all the salad dressings all the oils all this stuff are typically high in omega-6 all the processed foods all the instant foods all of the take out of the microwave and i mean pick out of the freezer and put in the microwave are usually loaded in omega-6 and so instead of focusing on sort of how much, I usually tell people the goal is just cut all that out and add in more omega-3. And so usually you're going to get a good balance that way between omega-6 and omega-3, and ideally even a little more 3 than 6, depending on the person. There's data that shows now, and you know, we have this medicine called Vascepa, which is a highly purified form of EPA, which is part of omega-3 fatty acids. And in the studies that were done on this Vascepa. what we found was, is that people outside of their triglyceride level, because omega-3 fatty acids lower triglycerides, outside of that, people were getting better being on omega-3 fatty acids. Now that's fundamentally, and that's amazing because basically that says, that it proves that there's other mechanisms by which omega-3 fatty acids work and make your body better, which is through that inflammatory cascade.
1: Well, that's very interesting. I'm glad that you talked about that because I think there is a lot of confusion about that. Incorporating the ground flaxseed and chia seeds is very important. I think we're getting to the point where we have some questions from our audience. We're going to pull those questions up and see Karen. Hi, Karen. How do you do gut healing with this diet? I've used bone broth and yogurt for this, but how do you do it with this plant-based diet? That's a great question.
0: Yeah. So a lot of times and um, that people have this, so there's many ways to heal the gut. Um, and so what you're looking for is food that is high in good gut bugs. So the reason you're eating yogurt is because you're looking for those probiotic effects of yogurt. And so you can get uh, that um, from kimchi and sauerkraut and tempeh, which are all fermented foods, which will give you those natural um, We'll give you those natural sources of gut bugs, um, and so on a plant-based diet, you're healing your gut in every way because you're loading it with fiber, which is super good for the gut. And all the gut bugs change when you eat fiber. You're giving the food, you're giving your body probiotics because you're eating foods like kimchi and tempeh, as I said, which are then giving you health, helping you nourish the get and get those healthy bugs. You're giving your body prebiotics, like and when you give them pre which is food for your gut bugs, which then also nourish and keep those gut bugs healthy. You eat loads and loads of greens, which cause actually go into your body, which increase your fiber, and then they die and you also, that also causes your blood vessels to dilate. So in my clinic in particular, I ask patients to eat loads and loads of greens to dilate their blood vessels. And so that's through the arginine nitric oxide pathway, which also then people tell me, well, why don't, can I just take arginine? Well, no, because the arginine data isn't, the arginine supplement data has not been so clear And uh, in fact, in heart disease patients, arginine has not been found to be beneficial, but eating the greens has. So you have to remember that the food is, there's so much about food that we don't fully understand. And we try to bottle up one little piece of it by putting it in a pill and we just don't do the food justice like if you just eat the food you're going to do okay.
1: Great answer. I like that. That's a great snippet. Ka- oh, Karen said thank you. I need to learn more about fermentation. And oh, she wanted to also know if give me any info regarding this diet in relation to adrenal fatigue.
0: Yes, yeah, so you know, adrenal fatigue is a difficult diagnosis. It's not always uh, you know, I'd have to hear more about what the underlying hormonal issues are if if they have real adrenal insufficiency. Um, so that's a little complicated because there's maybe some hormonal imbalance there. Um, I think the thing to remember is that so much of the time people attribute their illnesses to, and it's not that they're not real. There's so many illnesses. I mean, I have rheumatoid arthritis. It's that you have to remember that there's so much you can do to keep your body healthy. And so your energy level, like I used to get tired all of the time. I never, I'm never tired. My husband calls me the energizer bunny because I always want to do stuff. I'm always, I always have energy to do stuff. And so what I, you know, you know, you know, I don't, you know, people discuss their constipation. Like one of the first questions I ask in my clinic is I said, when was the last time you made a bowel movement? Some people will think that's an odd comment. And so some people are like, Oh, I only go every three or four days. Like, wait, what? You know? And so like all these things, your bowels have to work daily or regularly your energy levels will improve your attitude improves your alertness improves i just can't speak highly enough about how your lifestyle can make you better there is no magic pill and that's sort of the bottom line is that there is no magic pill to healing and so no matter it's not that pills don't work it's just that there's no magic pill that's gonna do the same thing that you will that the benefits you will get from changing your lifestyle.
1: Right. Sometimes pills might help with symptoms, but they're not going to change what the underlying disease is. And I think a lot of people aren't familiar with the fact that normal bowel movements are at least one per day without straining. We're going to have some doctors come on and discuss specifically constipation. And so they would probably be talking about including more water and also more fiber rich foods, which are plants. John, plants strong for over five years, no cheating, neck pain, back pain, pain everywhere. On bad back days, I take NSAID and my body feels great. What do you recommend?
0: So, you know, again, I I would have to know more about you, John. Like I need to know what your weight was, what sort of what you came with, what kind of bone problems you have. Do you have osteoporosis? Have you had an MRI of your back? Do you have any pinched nerves? These are things I wonder. Have you had inflammatory markers checked? Do you have inflammation? What is your ESR? Uh, These are the things I wonder. um, And I would wonder if I was your physician. So what I would want you to do is is, there's so many things you can do in terms of anti-inflammatory foods. But one of the things I'd probably add to your diet is turmeric. Um, So turmeric is a very potent spice And anti-inflammatory, and so um, that's something I eat. My I was people call it my gold because it truly is my gold. And so um, I would have uh, make sure you're eating some turmeric. Uh, Again, you could put it in a pill, but I prefer you sprinkle it into your food and add it maybe into your tea or your coffee, uh, and have some turmeric almost every day. Now there was a study done, small, but it was on like 20 people that looked at NSAIDs um, versus or NSAIDs or which is what you described in your note, like ibuprofen or um, Advil, those are anti-inflammatories or NSAIDs. And they compared them to turmeric. And in that study, there was no difference in people's um, symptoms. So uh, turmeric is a potent anti-inflammatory. I take it, I give it to my kids uh, and that might help you with your back pain. But I think that some of the other issues need to be sorted out and understood fully.
1: So would you tell this person to request specific blood tests from the doctor? Maybe. It, uh, again, it would depend on what, on what
0: they've had already. Um, maybe there's a mechanical issue where they have problems with spinal stenosis or they have problems with nerve impingement. Um, or So those are things that I would wonder about. Um, and those patients may not necessarily need inflammatory markers tested, but if they don't have those things and those are all normal and they're still having a lot of diffuse muscle pains and muscle and joint pains, then I would suggest that they get inflammatory markers tested in their blood.
1: Okay. And then as far as the dosage of turmeric, what do you recommend? Is is too much, too much? There is
0: such a thing as too much. Again, I don't take pills specifically and um, I don't think that we have enough data to know the right dose. Uh, There is a too much, if you do take too much then you can develop gallstones um, and some liver disease. Um, So I really don't want, if you just take it into your food and you eat it every day, uh, for instance, I'm drinking a cup of tea right now and in this tea there is turmeric. Um, And so if you just add it into your food every day you will see a difference within days.
1: Excellent. Okay, let's see our next question. Carol Winston says, I am WFPB, whole food plant-based, and have systemic inflammation. My body makes too much mucus, so I wake up every day with lungs that are full and feel tight and inflamed. Sinus rinse doesn't help. Any suggestions? So... um I would, again,
0: for you, I would want to know um, about the pollution in your area. What underlying lung disease you have, and do you have, and um, what were your inflammatory markers? Because you describe you have systemic inflammation. A lot of times, people who wake up that way with a lot of uh, mucus, um, they often have um, allergies, uh, and so they that you know you, you would probably want to have your out al- to check if you have any allergies. Um, that might help. Sometimes using a neti pot or a neti pot is a good way to help with sort of that cloggy feeling that you get. It might help with your sinuses, which then drip down when you sleep at night. Um, And then sometimes you have heart reflux or gastric reflux, which can cause that feeling. Um, And so those things I would want to have sorted out and maybe understand the story more. So I think those are the things that you need to understand. So is this reflux? Is this You know, underlying lung issues, do you have chronic sinusitis? Um, um, And could you have uh, allergies? Those are the things I would wonder about. Um, And if you have a diagnosis of inflammation, you know, was that checked with blood tests? Um, And so those are the things I'd wonder. Sometimes just a neti pot will help you a lot with that kind of sinus congestion.
1: Excellent. Leslie, my RA is flaring. I just listened to a podcast saying chia seeds raise CRP and is horrible for inflammation. Is this true? What can I do to stop flare-ups? So,
0: uh, I don't know anything about chia seeds is triggering CRP, so I'll look it up to see if there's such if that's true. Um, Chia seeds are omega-3 fatty acids. They're eaten all over South America, including and specifically Peru. Uh, I eat them in my daily life. I have rheumatoid arthritis um, and I find them to be very pro anti-inflammatory and all omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory and that's what chia seeds are. So if there's something new out that I need to know, I'll look at it, but I've never heard that.
1: Allie, I followed your diet for a few years. I have a normal BMI. My blood pressure is 160 over 60. What else can I do to get the top number systolic pressure down? So um, good for you for having a normal BMI.
0: Good for you for eating plant-based. So, you know, most of the studies show, so there's, you know, there is a genetic, the longer you have high blood pressure, sometimes those vessels get get stiff. And I'm not sure your age So, um, but there's a lot of data on, so if you think about blood pressure, it's sodium driven most of the time, often, not always. so So people have salt sensitive high blood pressure. But we also know that eating more potassium will lower your blood pressure. So I would just be really mindful to make sure that you're eating really high potassium rich foods. Um, that's very important. Um, so um, so if you even Google high potassium rich foods, I would just start to make sure you're eating them. But if you're eating loads and loads of greens, you'll get that. Um, and so I would make sure that you're implementing a load and load of greens, like every single meal that should bring it down and just watch for those. It, you know, sneaky, insidious ways salt or sodium gets in your food, like soy sauces, um, and then, you know, any of your instant foods and also that what you're getting from outside of the house. Um, so those are things that you could find that could be triggering your blood pressure. Um, again, if if despite all of those things and you've done all those things, your blood pressure is high, you need to get on some medicine. And so you do not want to be hanging out with a blood pressure of 160 over, um, I don't remember what you said, the 160 over 60. You want that number to come down and it needs to come down. Hanging out with an elevated blood pressure was um, going to create stiff vessels and then a stiff heart. Um, so work hard, you know, give yourself, if you've given yourself a good shake of through maybe give yourself three months to really do a, your best, best. And if your blood pressure is still high, you need to get on medicine.
1: Blake, what do you eat in a day? I think you talked about your breakfast, right? I did talk about my
0: breakfast. So, um, sometimes they say if I don't eat the oats, which I do a lot of the raw oats with oat milk and blueberries and often have a green shake, but I haven't had a green shake today. So I'll probably have one for lunch, which I haven't actually had lunch. So I'll probably have it for lunch. Um, I usually, the other thing I love to have is I love to have like a whole grain, a whole hundred percent whole wheat or a Splenda or multigrain bread, um, and I'll toast that and I'll put sort of a no or low oil hummus. And then I often put alfalfa sprouts. That's sort of one of my other go-to breakfasts. Um, for lunch, um, unless it's crazy, I try to have a huge salad. And when I tell people I like to have a salad, I want your salad to be bigger than your head. Uh, and when I tell you I want your salad bigger than your head, I don't want all the... the ins- I want the greens to be bigger than your head. So I have a big head. so So my greens have to be this much of my salad. So, uh, I want you to have, you know, I eat a big salad. Uh, I usually put chickpeas in it. I'll add some tofu. I have hummus. I have nutritional yeast in there. Um, for my B12, I have, um, uh, I, I, put in a little bit of, so with the, with the hummus, I add, um, some, um, balsamic vinegar. Um, and usually I use kale cause I'm an obsessed with kale. Um, and then for dinner, I usually have, um, and I may have an orange later in the day if I'm hungry, um, dinner, I often skip, honestly, although the summer I haven't really the last couple weeks because it's been weird, but, um, often in the, I I don't eat dinner because I have this this salad that I eat like last me two. Sometimes I'll eat it at 12 and then three, but then other times I'll eat dinner. And usually for dinner, I'll have something like brown rice and lentils. I'll make those Indian style, I might eat um, a sweet potato. Um, lately, I've been in like a taco black bean burrito mode. Um, so we'll do black beans. Yesterday we had—I guess just posted on social media. I took a picture. Uh, I had tempeh tacos. So I used a corn tortilla. I had baked some to- uh, tempeh. Um, I'd done some black beans uh, and then shredded up. Uh, we made a taco bar and put in uh, spinach, tomatoes, and onions and Tabasco. Uh, we had uh, delicious tacos, uh, so that's something usually kind of food I eat. I do a lot of Indian food because Indian food is super healthy if it's made right. Um, many Indian restaurants do not make it great, um, but if made right and sort of back the way it used to be made and fresh and a lot low oil, uh, Indian food is a really great source of um, of uh, nutrients, protein, complex carbs,
1: etc. I read maybe that you were talking about the importance of spices. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, people don't realize that there's certain foods that just um, are in spite. There's certain nutrients or benefits you only get from spices uh, that you can't find in other foods. Um, And so it's important to add spices to your food almost. Um, And um, we, um, we don't, we don't realize that there are certain foods and a lot of people say, well, I never really grew up eating spices. Yes. So what I recommend is get five or so go to an Indian store. If you can, there's like that millions of spices and pick up five or six different ones and put them on your, on your kitchen counter and try to experiment with different foods, like make some beans and throw some things in and try them out and see what you get. Um, You're going to mess up, but it's okay. You know, it's good to learn how to use spices. And, you know, like I use cumin almost every day, turmeric, Curry powders, um, uh, mango powder, pomegranate powder, um, almost on on a daily to weekly basis.
1: Jesse T. says, sounds delicious. And that's what I think is wonderful about this lifestyle, because you can experiment and you don't have to put it in the cooking itself. You can just take a portion out and just sprinkle a little something on there and taste it. And if it's not something that you like, then another portion can have something else on it, but it definitely gives us a lot more things to experiment with and experience than what we're probably used to on the standard American diet. Jay, um, a cardiologist that I work with said that he is against this diet because we eat fruits, grains, wheat, beans, and lentils. He said these foods raise insulin levels, causing inflammation. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, disappointing, you know. know so many people just again have very little understanding um there you know there was a study done called the peer study and you know in that study some of the some great cardiologists said in there that actually carbs are the enemy saturated fat is good but in every in it you know it makes like major news and so people then people who know limited amounts if they say oh they take that piece of information and they take that bite um and then they've got it in their head and they're like okay carbs are bad saturated fat is good but that's an actually, and then and then another study comes out that says actually, okay, now we figured it and digested out what exactly what that meant. And actually, what came out was actually refined carbs are bad and complex carbs are good, but and saturated fat is also still not good. And so we know that saturated fat isn't good, but you know, so many people only hear the sound bite. Um, and so, you get unfortunately a lot in medicine as well is that people have very little understanding. A lot of people talk about lectins, and you know, I know that there's a prominent doctor who's talking about lectins being bad for you. But you know, the way we, when we cook all of our foods, all the lectins are gone, and it, it's just like such a misconception that you can't eat beans and you can't eat lentils, which are like the mainstay of healthy eating. So, Jay, I guess what I would say is. I disagree. Uh, I, you know, I take care of thousands of patients. I teach them how to eat uh, the way I I believe and have studied. And I just published data um, that shows that in our prevention clinic, our patients do better. You know, we compared them to uh, another general cardiologist and an interventional cardiologist and compared our clinic to them. Uh, And all of us use the same medications and standard cardiac medicines uh, including myself, and I have a, and if you compare our patients to those two doctors, our patients are doing better. I don't know what else to say, and we presented that data at the American Heart Association and we've just published that data last week. Um, and so that's ready for people to review. And so um, I think that there's such a misconception about what a what causes inflammation and Carb uh, every carb is not the same, but there are many bad carbs. And you have to remember that eating a refined carbohydrate is worse than eating a saturated fat, but a complex carb is better.
1: Very good. For those that have not adopted this lifestyle, but of course they're listening, so they must be interested. Do you have any words of encouragement for them or maybe what do you think that they should do to start out? I think that
0: you have to honor the process. I think that uh, change is hard, but change is good. I think that don't be afraid to people say, well, I'm too old to change. No, not true. I have 70 year olds in my clinic that change. I have 90 year olds that change. You know, it, people say, I'm, people will say, I just don't want to eat, cook for myself. I get that. But there's so many ways to eat healthy without having to cook so much or to you cook little or using Instapots or electric pressure cookers. I mean, there's so many things that are out there and you can eat so many salads every day where you don't have to cook. You know, I hear I've heard every single story and every single I'm sure there's some I haven't heard, obviously, but I, you know, I've you been doing this for a long time. And I, I hear it. I hear that this is. I hear that these are the things that people are concerned about. And I also believe that you are stronger than you think. And so be remember that you're stronger than you think. Remember that you can change. Don't be afraid to make slow changes. Don't be afraid. Don't let other people judge you. Don't let other people decide for you that this is how you need to do it either. Try to listen to some uh, doctor that you believe or uh, somebody who knows about nutrition and try to listen to them and try to stay on path and just stay the course and you're going to do great. The other thing I would say is, is don't let the, um, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, you know, so many people have so many uh, opinions about salt, oil and sugar free, um, whole food plant based. You know what? I just believe that you have to do the best you can. And yes, I want you to be as plant based as you can, but I am also not here to judge you. I'm only here to help you get better. And I think that that's a really fundamental thing and that we're not here to judge persons drinking wine or drinking, eating a little oil or doing a little meat or a little of this. My goal is just to make people healthier as the best I can and if I and get them to eat more plants.
1: Well, that was wonderful. I want to thank you, Dr. Agarwal, for your time. I didn't know about this study, so I'm really anxious to see it now. Yeah. Well, yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're you're just so busy. You're doing a lot of advocating, plus you're a cardiologist, plus you're um, a mom of three. And, and I'm sure that there's a lot of other things that you have going on. And the fact that you came and gave your time to us and audience, it really means a lot to us.
0: So That's I really fine. want to
1: thank you for that.
0: My pleasure. I'm, I hope it helps uh, um, some people.
1: And it's my pleasure to be here. All of you, if you can like and share and subscribe, but also just take this into your brain today and say, I'm going to try this lifestyle. Or if you're already doing it, maybe I'm going to tighten the screws a little bit and take it up to the next level. But now stay tuned because we do have a special announcement. But before that, I wanted to thank someone who's been helping us in the background, and that's Rebecca. She's from PKA sols and she's been helping engineer. Hi, Rebecca. The broadcast and pulling up the questions. I wanted to thank Jess from Jess Toss Voice. She did the countdown and the introduction for Dr. Agarwal. But most of all, I want to thank you. You're the reason why I am here and Dr. Agarwal's here because we want to spread the word of this healthy lifestyle. And we are hoping that by being on this broadcast, we're helping you out there to find good health and maybe to find a healthy weight loss or to help you help a loved one with this information. I wanted to tell you that we have a special guest coming back in our next broadcast, and that's Dr. Christina Miller. She's going to be back on the show for a QA and a on preventing and healing from autoimmune disease, and we're going to continue with this topic. And that's going to be on Wednesday, July 21st at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific, and it's going to be here. On Be Green with Amy Live. And I wanted to ask all of you to join me as I have my tagline with Dr. Agarwal. And you can type on the bottom in the comments with us so that we can all kind of be one. Oh, and Jesse T said, Great interview. And she said, What we're going to be saying right now. Until I see you again, be strong, be well, and be green. green. (laughs) Bye bye, everyone. Thank you.